Thank you for joining us for this podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. Advent is a Latin term that means coming. And for centuries, the church has observed the four Sundays prior to Christmas as a season of Advent. It's a special time, a special time of commemorating the first coming of Jesus and the preparation of hearts for his second coming. And so season of Advent is, is a hopeful waiting for the coming of the Lord. And young people, uh, you can get a handle on what Advent means by just remembering when you were little how excited you were for Christmas. I remember that. I couldn't wait for Christmas to come. I so much wanted a Tonka truck. <laughs> and Christmas seemed so far away. Remember that, young people? And finally it came. And I was pretty sure that my dad and mom were going to give me a Tonka truck. And, and we had a tradition in our home that we were not allowed to touch the presents. But I saw a present with my name on it. And it looked like the right size, the right shape. Finally, Christmas came. And I opened the present. And there it was. But my Christmas hope was fulfilled. The theme this morning is hope. Hope. Because they hid Jews in their home during the Second World War, Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were taken off to a German concentration camp. And there they suffered horrific atrocities. And there they witnessed the power of the gospel. Corey Tinboom, in her book, The Hiding Place, wrote these words. Betsy and I ministered the word of God to all in the room. We sat by deathbeds that became doorways of heaven. We watched women who had lost everything grow rich in hope. I believe a good question for us on this first Sunday of Advent is, are you rich in hope? Are you and I rich in hope? That's the theme this morning. We're going to look at several Bible passages, and I'm asking you to pay a special attention when we read these passages. They'll be on the screen. Pay a special attention because I won't have time to expound on them thoroughly. The goal of this sermon 
is that all of us who believe in Jesus Christ may have our hope revitalized. And we need that. There's so much discouragement. But I'm confident that the Holy Spirit, through his holy word, will enrich our hope. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we really do need to be built up in hope. There are so many discouragements. There are many who scoff at the idea of Jesus returning. They say, where is the promise of his coming? Oh Lord, by the power of your spirit, open the scriptures to us this morning that we would leave this place with great hope. Amen. We first want to consider what hope meant for those Israelite exiles. If there were ever a people who desperately needed hope, it was those exiles. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we remembered Zion. The burning question on their hearts was this, why? Why was Jerusalem destroyed? Why was God's holy temple in ruins? Why were the descendants of Abraham God's chosen people in captivity? And God's answer came to those exiles by way of a rather large scroll, which today we call the books of First and Second Kings. In those books, we have a sad history. A sad history that begins with the death of King David and then his son Solomon drifted away from God by marrying heathen wives. And then his son, Rehoboam, was responsible for dividing the kingdom. And then came a long list of wicked kings. All of them, except for five, had their life summarized this way. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. God would send them warning after warning after warning, but they would not listen. So God finally in 586 BC sent Babylon to destroy Jerusalem and to take captive its people. But at the very end of that scroll, the very end of Second Kings, we have an amazing Advent message. Listen to it. Second Kings 25. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. 
So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. Here was a message that gave those exiles hope. And this hope was very real for one Israelite in particular. His name was Jeremiah. He was a great prophet of God. And he endured this sad history of wicked kings. And he personally knew wicked kings like Jehoiachin. And for good reason, he was called the weeping prophet. He prophesied, but people would not listen to the word of God. And guess how the prophecy of Jeremiah ends? It ends the very same way as 2 Kings ends. Almost the exact same wording. Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin, the wicked king, honored in Babylon, released from prison. Same message of hope. We who believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God knows that this didn't happen by accident. We know that when God repeats something twice, we better take note of it. Jeremiah and the exiles had hope. And their hope included three aspects. First, they hopefully waited in sin and misery. That was obvious. The, the captives were enslaved in Babylon because of their sin. Jeremiah was beaten. He was in prison. A life of misery for, procl for proclaiming the truth. He suffered. So their hope was in the midst of suffering, but they hopefully waited based on the promise of God. Because much earlier, God gave his people a promise. He gave his promise specifically to David, King David, saying that his throne would be established forever. And David responded by saying, I praise you, O Lord, for you are true to your promise. I have a Bible in my possession. I've had it for over 25 years. And, and in the margins of that Bible are many, many notes. But there is one note repeated more often than any other note. And it says, God's word always comes true. God's word always comes true. And so those exiles, based on the promise, waited hopefully for the fulfillment of that promise. And here's where it gets really interesting. The immediate fulfillment came by way of Jehoiachin's grandson. Get this. Jehoiachin, the wicked king, but honored in Babylon, his grandson was named Zerubbabel. Does that ring any bells to you? Zerubbabel was the one called governor by the people, leader of the people, led them from Babylon, 70 years later, to the promised land, to Jerusalem. And he was used by God to lead the people to rebuild the temple of God. That was the immediate fulfillment of this promise, this hope promise. And a far greater fulfillment came about 500 years later 
Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, there's the genealogy of the eternal king who continued the throne of David. And about two-thirds through that genealogy, we have these words in Matthew 1, verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, another name for Jehoiachin, was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Through the seed of that wicked king, Jehoiachin, came the Christ child. Hope. What a precious gift. And that hope often comes under attack. And we see that in Luke chapter 24, because now we want to consider what Advent meant for those early disciples of Jesus at the cross. What did hope mean for them? Luke 24, a very common, well-known passage. Jesus had resurrected from the dead, and he meets these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And, And we pick up the story in Luke 24, verse 17. And Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers... And delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? What was Advent like for those disciples at the cross? We have the same aspects of hope. They had hope in the midst of suffering. What suffering? Witnessing the death of their leader, their master, their rabbi. And their hope was hanging by a thread. Because as they said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And maybe there are some here this morning whose hope in Jesus is is barely hanging by a thread. And I want to remind all of us that we always need to go back to the promises of God 
And that's what Jesus did with these disciples, wasn't it? He walked with them, and he, and he didn't just come and immediately say, Hi, guys, it's me, perk up. Uh, no, 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 no. He took the time walking with them on this road to Emmaus, opening up the scriptures concerning himself, and, and these disciples later responded by saying, We're not our hearts burning within us as he opened up the scriptures to us. Oh, friends, we, we all want our children to be happy in receiving presents this Christmas. And that's good. That's fine. But please, please remember that those presents will not warm their hearts like this book can. Take time to read God's story with them. Encourage them to read the Bible on their own, to experience the Spirit opening up their hearts and their hearts burning because they see Jesus. Uh, we as Christians often talk about having a personal relationship to Jesus, but what does that mean? Well, certainly it includes how Jesus will arrange events in our lives. Certainly it includes how he answers us in prayer. But most fundamentally, intimacy with Jesus involves opening up the scriptures so that the Spirit would open up our hearts and minds that we would see Jesus. Meditate on the scriptures. Meditate on the promises of God. And with that, we come to what does Advent mean for you and me? What does Advent mean for the church today? Uh, we live after Christ's ascension. We cannot physically see Jesus. And yet, you and I have been given much more than those exiles, much more than even those early disciples of Jesus. We've been given the complete revelation of God. And more than that, we have been given the spirit of God who works in our hearts, guiding us in that truth. So we too wait in hope. We wait in hope for the second coming of Jesus. And we have this hope even in the midst of suffering. And for that, I'd like us to turn to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. Here the Apostle Paul gives expression. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We hopefully wait in sin and misery. We have the treasure of Jesus in jars of clay. We as jars of clay can so easily crack under the pressure of temptation the worldly pressures. We so often fail to live as God wants us to live. And it's not just you and me. The entire church of Jesus is made up of jars of clay. 
So there's so many divisions in the church. And there's so much distortion of God's word, his truth. And there's so much failure to reflect the grace of God as we live and as we interact with, interact with others. We are jars of clay. And the world rejects us as jars of clay. Early in my ministry, um, most people, even if they didn't believe in the gospel, most people had a good measure of respect for the church. That is fast dwindled. And the church is being persecuted. Just a couple days ago, I got an email from dear friends in Myanmar suffering great persecution. We hope, we wait in hope, but we wait in sin and misery as jars of clay. But we hopefully wait based on trust in God's word. Look what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Have you noticed that in the Bible, hope is closely linked to faith? One writer said, hope is faith with an eye to the future. Hope is faith with an eye to the future. Remember how Hebrews 11 begins? For faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith linked to hope. And so we are built on the promises of God. We trust in God's promises. And we hopefully wait for the fulfillment of that promise, namely the glory of heaven. And so Paul finishes this passage, verses 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There was a former teacher of a Christian college by the name of Lewis Smedes. And once in a while, Lewis Smedes would, would tease his class with a question. How many want to go to heaven? All hands up. How many uh, would like to go to heaven tomorrow if you had the choice? Hands down. And then the teacher would carry on with questions. How many of you wish that tomorrow morning you would wake up to music more glorious than you've ever heard before? How many of you wish that you would rise to a new day as though you were discovering the Pacific Ocean for the first time? How many of you wish you could wake up in the morning and not be guilty of 
anything. Seeing the very core of your being and liking everything you see. How many of you wish that you could wake up tomorrow morning breathing God as if breathing air? Loving to love him and loving everyone else in the bargain. And the hands went up. And then the teacher looked at them intently and said, I think you really do want to go to heaven tomorrow. We wait for heaven's glory. We eagerly wait for it. But as we wait, we don't wait in idleness. We don't wait just twiddling our thumbs. Look at what Paul says in Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. As we wait, dear friends, in Christ, we renounce wickedness. We stand against that which is sinful. We live lives for God's glory, eager to do good works. That's how we live. Many of you remember the the classic movie, uh, Shawshank Redemption. And, And you remember the leading character of that movie says, Hope may be the very best of things. And in hope of escaping prison, he took 20 years chiseling through that thick prison wall. 20 years. And then he crawled through 500 yards of a sewer pipe to freedom. The movie wonderfully displays the power of hope. But dear Christian friends, think how much more powerful our hope is in Jesus Christ. Because our deliverance is not based on our grueling effort. Our hope is based on what Jesus Christ accomplished for you and me on the cross. The forgiveness of our sins and his righteousness becoming credited to us. Our our deliverance is not from a mere prison cell. Our deliverance is from eternal condemnation. And our deliverance comes with the promise that you and I who believe in Jesus will receive new bodies and God will make all things new. So of course in this life, as we wait hopefully for the return of Jesus Christ, how shall we live? We're going to renounce that which is evil. We're going to stand which is opposed to God. We're going to be eager to do good, living godly lives. Of course we will, as we wait for the coming of Jesus.
And please, just, just one more perspective on hope. Think what Advent must be like for our loved ones in heaven. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The saints in heaven are also waiting in hope. But their wait is much different than ours. They're not waiting in sin and misery. They're in perfection. No tears. No suffering. And, and they're, they're waiting... But their waiting is not really dependent on remembering the promise of God because the promise is right there in their midst. But they still are waiting, hopefully waiting, for new resurrected bodies, and everything being made new, living on the new earth. But even that waiting is different than ours because they wait in perfect certainty. Are you a little more certain of your hope. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast and for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.